Good morning, Grace Point. Keep Bolivia in your prayers. Keep uh, Bridesburg in your prayer. Keep Telhai in your prayer. It's wonderful that we have these special occasions in our lives to step out in our faith and just pray for those who are doing just that. Um, that it might be really time for life change in their lives because God can do some great things when we get out of our normal environment and go someplace different and see God work. That can be life change. Well, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 to 16. You're welcome to grab that white Bible that's in the pew near you. Oh, those aren't pews, are they? It's a chair. That chair near you. Grab that, and uh, I'm going I'm to tell you this, that if you are home with a Bible, but it, you don't understand it very well, or you, it doesn't read very easily, you're welcome to take that Bible home with you. It's our gift to you. What I want you to think about this morning is how you do church. How do you do church? How do you practice church? What does going to church mean to you? And as you think about this, I want you to consider making room in your schedule this fall to join a life group or a, another small group. A life group at Grace Point is where a small group of people regularly meet to do life together. It's where you um, can get to know other people and where you can be known. It's where you can encourage and challenge other people in their walk with God and where you can be encouraged and challenged in your walk. And it's where you can learn how to care for other people, love them as Christ loves, and allow them to care for you. September 18 is our Life Group Connection during the second service, and it's be praying about joining a group, or hosting a group, or even leading a group. Now, new Life Groups this fall are going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to implement some changes. For one thing, they're going to meet on, in 10-week increments. So for 10 weeks, on-ramp, off-ramp, they're going to meet for 10 weeks at a time. Secondly, they're going to be sermon-based. That is, uh, these groups are going to have uh, a, a, a questions for the group leader to use, or the leaders to use, to help you go a little deeper and to help you make a little more personal the teaching of that previous Sunday morning. So it's going to be a little bit different, and I look forward to that, but I also look most excited about the fact that you might join one when you've never joined one before. And why would I be excited about that? Well, as we're going to see this morning, more of us connecting to a small group is going to help believers at Grace Point grow up and be built up in love, which is the goal of every believer in Christ. So with that challenge in mind, I want you to begin reading with me Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I therefore, <clears throat> that's enough, we're, going to look at, we're looking at Paul, right? I is the Paul, therefore is there for a very important reason. Chapter 4, as we've been working through the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 marks the beginning, a pivotal time in the, in the course of this book. And it, it marks the first half from the second half. Here we have what many commentaries tell us. We move from the doctrinal portion to the practical portion of the book, the, the practical part. 
And while this may be true, it's also very important to note that the connection between chapters 1 to 3 and 4 to 6 should be a very natural progression on the part of you and I as believers. It's not a duty imposed that we're now to do these things. The instructions of chapters 4 to 6, which we're about to embark on, are to be understood as the outworking of the marvelous salvation that God has worked in our hearts and accomplished through Jesus Christ. And our obedience to the commands that he gives us are the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10, which should be up on the screen. So they are the actions which God's grace and God's power has enabled us to perform and which we gladly participate in out of gratitude to his glory. You see, in Christ, you are not who you once were. The truth of chapters 1 to 3 defines a new identity for every believer in Jesus Christ. You were formerly children of wrath, but now you are in Christ and you are children of God. Once you were separated from God because of sin, but now in Christ, you are a child of God, adopted into his family. And this new identity will bring about a certain alienation from the world because we're not like them. We walk differently. Walk this way, not that way, Paul says. I grew up in a village of Chittenango, a small town of about 4,500 people in central New York. Most everybody knew everybody else, especially my dad, because my dad was the mayor and when I was growing up. And before that, his dad had been mayor. And so, knew a lot of people. And I was the sixth of six children, and so my brothers and sisters, they had done a great job of preparing the way uh, by way of a good reputation with all the teachers and with all the coaches. And so, suffice it to say, I was proud to be a button in Chenango. I didn't want to disgrace my family name. And because of that, I didn't do some of the things that my friends did. Knowing who I was was a real motivating factor in my life, in my heart. It wasn't a burden. It was an honor. I was proud of my dad. I was proud of my, my sisters and brother. And I wanted to, them to be proud of me. And that easily translated for me to honor my heavenly father. Having trusted Jesus at a very young age, I wanted to honor God as my heavenly father the same way I wanted to honor my earthly father. Do you know who you are? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a disciple of Christ, our risen Lord. And I want to I please him. I want to honor him. And I want to be more like him and grow and more in love with him every day. And when you know that, and when you believe it, then, then those instructions that we're about to embark on are not duty they are your, your joy. They're your privilege. They're an honor. And we are to walk in them. Walk this way. That's the theme of our second half of the book of Ephesians. Walk this way. So now with that in mind, let's go back to the text. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk. That, that word appears eight times in the book of Ephesians. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. 
know who you are in Christ. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love that description of our relationship with the Father, that, that He is over all, that He is working and living in all of us, and that, and that He is a part of all of us. By grace, but grace was given, verse 7, to each one of us. Circle those words, each one. Each one, because they're going to be crucial to us as we begin to unpack how we practice church. So each one refers to every one of us as Christians. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, verse 8, because he's given grace to each one, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This connection between verses 7 and 8, that he gave grace to each one as gifts of men, I believe Paul's referring to the spiritual gifts that he has bestowed on every one of us as believers in Christ at the point of conversion. And then in verse 9, Paul is now going to shift to a different kind of gifting. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended in the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles. Now this is where he changes uh, to talk about people as gifts rather than the spiritual gifts. These are people gifts that he gives to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. That is all the Christians. For the work of ministry or the work of service. For the building up of the body of Christ. So ministers of the pastor type, of the teaching type, of the evangelist type, the prophet type, the apostle type, they were given to the church to equip saints to do service, ministry. So the word saints here. In verse 12, with the words, you connect them with the words, each one in verse 7. Each one of us, as saints, have been given grace gifts. And then you are given, to the, given them so that you might do works of ministry. And when you do those works of ministry through grace gifts, the body is built up. Verse 13. It's built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, and the meaning, the result of this being, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, Paul doesn't want us to be weak-minded people. Paul wants us not to be vulnerable to people's ideas. You know, here comes an idea across the TV. There it is. Oh boy. Now what do I do with that? Oh, the billboard. Or man, uh, Twitter. Just tw- I just have an idea. And then your mind goes off on that for the next day or for the next uh, week or maybe even for the next month until another idea comes across the wave. And maybe this time it's an article you read. Wow. And, and, you're, and you're, your mind is all over the map. Theologically, ideologically, it's, it's, it's not where it needs to be. Paul does not want that to be the case for you. He wants you to be like an oak tree. 
an oak tree with, that, with roots and strong branches so that when the winds of time blow, and they will, that you don't shimmy, that you don't shiver, that you don't uproot, but you stand strong. And so to that end, in verse 15, rather speaking the truth. Now truth in the context here is the truth about the Son of God, truth about faith, truth about the reality of life and each other and Christ and the Holy Spirit and heaven and hell and faith. You're speaking the truth, but it's not old. You don't speak it any old way. You speak it with hearts of love. You speak the, the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. Verse 16. From whom, and this is the verse that we're going to focus on for the rest of our time together. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. My aim this morning is to persuade you that it would be biblical healthy, empowering, loving, marriage healing, problem solving, loneliness overcoming, weakness strengthening, if you were in a small group. In this smaller setting is where you'd be more likely to experience with other Christians a mutual spiritual supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered, gift-expressing grace, filled ministry to each other. John Piper once raised this issue, and so has uh, Larry Crabb and others. Piper said it this way, Sometimes I wonder whether the frequency and the seriousness of the problems many Christians face is not due to the fact that most Christians in America do not experience relational, interpersonal, supernatural, spiritual, corporate life. That is, church life in the way the New Testament describes it. Psychological problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, self-identity problems, Financial problems, career problems, loneliness, addictions, phobias, weaknesses. I wonder, he writes, if the epidemic of emotional and psychological woes in the church, not to mention the world, but in the church, is not the symptom of a flaw in the way most Christians experience corporate church life. Well, what is corporate church life for most of us? It is a 65-minute worship service every two, maybe three weeks. And a small percentage might add a class in there. But as far as corporate togetherness, Sunday morning's it. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe in the tremendous value of corporate worship. I believe in the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. I give my life to it. I love it. Biblical preaching is, solid biblical preaching is, is necessary for depth and strength in what we sang about and what we read about in the Scripture for us to be rooted and grounded. There's got to be solid biblical preaching. But, you simply can't read the New Testament for what, a, what is normative church life supposed to be and come away thinking that a worship service and a class are the sum total of what the church is supposed to be. You will find something very different. And it is perhaps the flaw that is missing in your life. The inevitable effect of the church as merely a worship service and a class it, and it makes people relationally passive and makes them far too dependent upon ordained experts. And could it not be also that this pervasive relational passivity robs some of us as Christians of answers to hundreds of problems that we face. If God designed the church to function like a, function like a body, with every member ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit according to their gifts and all the members for their upbuilding in, in regular intervals of interpersonal relationship, then would it be surprising to find that the neglect of this regular, interpersonal, interdependent, spiritual ministry of life on life cripples the body, and in some, it functions, and it causes parts of the body to be weak and sick. I mean, isn't that what you'd expect? My mother-in-law's hips were not functioning properly, and so for some time she put off getting them replaced. And then eventually she had three hip replacements. Not that she has three hips. But she had that second hip when she fell. It was such a bad situation that they had to redo the whole thing. She had it repaired. There was three hip replacements. And yet after all of this, it is not surprising that she can barely walk now because of the arthritic deterioration in her knees. Because her hips are not functioning properly for quite some time, now her knees are weak and sick. And now if this happens again and again throughout the course of time for the body, the body becomes very sick and, and might, as you might expect. And it no longer functions properly. It's incapable of functioning in a healthy way. Could it be that this maybe has what happened to the local church in America? Here's something else. Could it, could it be that the incredible felt need for professional psychologists on the rise among us is due in large measure to the flaw that we experience or lack of experience in corporate life? Now think about this. How do psychological counselors help people? Now, don't get me wrong, Chuck. We need you, and we need more of you. May your tribe increase. 
But it seems to boil down to two simple things. Personal one-on-one conversations called counseling and psychotherapy and personal group meetings with others facing similar struggles. Isn't it amazing that when Christians are in distress and, and, help, and seek help from professional psychologists short of medication, the help that they get comes through one-on-one conversations and group sharing. And this multi-million dollar industry of, of psychotherapy that we have created to help hurting people is almost built entirely upon conversation. They talk. And that's the ministry. The power of conversation. Now, in the best settings, it's wise and insightful and prayerful and loving conversation. But it's conversation. Dialogue. Interaction. Interpersonal. Face-on-face. Face-to-face. Life-on-life. Someone might conclude, well, the church has failed and it should provide more support groups for all these kinds of distresses and disorders. Well, and abuse, and we do. We've offered divorce care. We've offered uh, grief share in the past. We have Addictions Victorious. We have Barnabas Care where there's a new marriage ministry for, for marital couples coming up this fall. But the question still needs to be asked is a more fundamental one. Do generations of flawed church play a a significant part in our dysfunctions and in our distresses among members in the church. It's the difference between asking whether or not the job of the church is to have programs to distribute, uh, let's say, vitamin C tablets for the scurvy epidemic, or whether we should have been all the while eating oranges. while meeting in groups. But the question that still needs to be asked, do those who experience church in small groups get victory over their problems more than those who don't? It's a good question. Because the answer to that would probably tell us something. But the problem's deeper still. Are most of the small groups that exist experience what the New Testament pictures as interpersonal, supernatural ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me give you an illustration of what may be the case of many small groups and plead with you, who may already be in small groups, to move beyond toward New Testament life together or biblical community. And keep in mind this verse in Ephesians 4.16. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ralph Neighbor, a big guru of body life, writes this true story in his book, Where Do We Go From Here? He writes, A visiting pastor from Auckland, New Zealand, was asked by by the pastor of a country church to come to a small group to help it understand its function. He came early for dinner, but the husband wasn't there, and the wife was embarrassed, explained that the husband owned a construction company and worked late. The group arrived after dinner, and the visiting pastor taught for a while on how to use spiritual gifts to build others up. And then he asked, and then he asked them to get alone for a few minutes to seek God for how one might channel God's grace to others for their upbuilding. 
When they came back together, he assumed that they knew each other's needs because they had been together for over two years. The husband came home about that time, showered, joined in for a few minutes, and when the opportunity was given to speak or to pray for each other, there was an awkward silence. They had never done anything like that before. Seeking the Lord for how he might want them to minister to each other in that moment to build each other up. Never done it. So the visiting fast pastor felt he had a fiasco in his hand and he turned the meeting back over to the host to close. And the host asked if anyone had a special problem that they would like prayer for. And the wife, his wife said yes. And he showed the group her rash all over her arms. She said the doctors had prescribed medicine but it hadn't helped. And the visiting pastor invited her to put her chair in the middle for prayer. And they prayed. And Christ, the head of the church, began his ministry. The visiting pastor said, I sense in my heart that this problem may be the result of great anger in your life. And she was silent for a moment, and then she began to cry softly. And then she confessed. I am so angry with my husband. He promises to be home for dinner, but night after night we eat without him. He's broken his promises to me over and over, and I feel like a widow raising our children. Wow. There was an awareness that something had just been revealed that two years of small group meetings had not revealed. And the husband was blushing with embarrassment. Then several of the men began to speak about how they had wrestled with the same problem in their homes and almost ruined their marriages. And then one in particular spoke of a deep meeting with God in such a crisis and how God had made such a difference. By the grace of God, the husband knelt down in front of his wife and wept in her lap. And the group prayed for them more earnestly than they had ever prayed. The visiting pastor commented later, the Lord had invaded his body and the gateway into the supernatural world had been crossed by us all. The following Sunday, the visiting pastor was to preach and he saw the small group gathered in the parking lot outside the church. And when they found him inside, the woman pulled up her sleeves and said, look, no more rash. The husband approached and said, I've cut back my work day to eight hours. And yesterday I took the kids to the zoo. It's making a big difference. So you see, it is possible to turn a small group into just another impersonal time where you learn something more about the Bible, but you do not minister to each other in an interpersonal way in the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the other hand, it is possible to lay hold of the supernatural supply of the Holy Spirit that is within each of us through the gift that he has given. And that possibly over generations might rebuild a healthy church and might rebuild the body to overcome the weakness and the sickness and the immaturity and the fruitlessness that much of the church reaps today. I want you to look one last time to Ephesians 4.16. Look at verse 4.16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this is the description of how the church, the body of Christ, causes 
growth and how it's built up in love. Now, I want you to notice two things in that verse. First, come, first of what you see is it comes from whom? From whom? Verse 15 answers that question. It comes from Christ, our risen Lord. He supplies the means for the growth. But the answer is, will we receive that supply? Will, will we expect it? Will we channel it toward each other? So Christ is the source. But second, I want you to see that while Christ is the source and the supply for the growth of the body, what causes it? The whole body. See, here's the point. The whole body causes the growth of the body. Notice, according to the working of each individual part. So there it is, the whole body, that is, each individual part of the body properly functioning causes the growth of the body. So that while growth and upbuilding are from Christ and, his, and power enabled from Him, He's the head, it is the whole body that builds the body. And what does the whole body do? Paul clarifies that when he further says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <clears throat> Excuse me. Question. Where does that happen in your corporate church life? You know what? We could never create enough programs so that each person could be involved in using their particular grace gift. We couldn't do it. But that isn't what Paul's talking about. Programs. He envisions a kind of regular gathering of the body in groups, small enough so that every member of the body can minister to others with his or her own unique gifts. How do you practice church? Are you living a normative New Testament church life in personal spiritual ministry with others? Or are you part of a flawed, perhaps even disfigured pattern of spiritual life that may account for more weakness and woe in your personal walk than God ever intended? Why don't you consider a small group? Connect with a life group this fall. Help and grow this local body at Grace Point. I'm going to close with a, with a, a quote from Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb's book, how many of you heard of Larry Crabb? Yeah, good number of you. Larry Crabb, in his book Connecting, subtitled Healing for Ourselves and Our Relationships. Larry's a Christian therapist, uh, writer, public speaker, and after decades of successful treatment for countless patients, he had a paradigm shift that changed his life and career in a profound way. Let me read this for you. By any standard, I have enjoyed success in my professional career and helped some folks along the way. It would, it would make obvious good sense to keep on the same track for the next 25 years. But that's not what I'm doing. I have strong reason to suspect that Christians sitting dutifully in church congregations for whom going to church means doing a variety of spiritual activities 
having been given resources that if released could powerfully heal broken hearts, overcome the damage done by abusive backgrounds, encourage the depressed to courageously move forward, stimulate the lonely to reach out, revitalize discouraged teens and children with new and holy energy, and introduce hope into the lives of the countless people who feel rejected and alone and useless. Maybe going to church more than anything else, means relating to several people in your life differently. Maybe the center of Christian community is connecting with a few. He goes on to say, the greatest need in modern civilization is the development of communities, true communities where the heart of God is home where the humble and wise learn to shepherd those on the path behind them, and where trusting strugglers lock arms with others as together they journey on. Do you have a group like that? Let's pray that God would grow more groups like that here at Grace Point. Let's pray. Our Father, Build your church. Teach us how to do church differently. May more of us walk in personal, spirit-filled, spirit-directed community with others. And may impress upon each one here the flaw that leads to belief that church one hour a week is all there is. Teach us to use the grace gift that you gave us to minister to others in small groups with adults or with children or with young people, to speak truth and love so that our lives individually may be healed and that a life of the church corporately might grow to become a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen.